0: Hi, welcome to Navigating the Spectrum with Michelle Portlock. I'm your host, Michelle Portlock, and I'm so happy that you're with me today. Today, I have the privilege of speaking with Peter Mann. And Peter Mann is a U.S. Navy veteran and former Dell executive. He founded Austin-based Allen Corp in 2002, a company that designs and manufactures indoor air purifiers. Peter sold Allen Corp in 2009 and founded Radford, Virginia-based Oranzi, an electric motor technology and indoor air purification manufacturing company with a clean energy mission. Aranzi recently bought a large manufacturing facility in Virginia and is hiring more than 100 local workers to move the company's entire manufacturing to the US from China. He is also the chair of the Association of Home Appliance Manufacturers Air Cleaner Council. Being autistic has allowed Peter to see unusual patterns to improve business strategy, create first-of-kind products with unique physical designs, and take business risks. However, being neurodivergent came with a personal cost, such as having challenges developing and maintaining close relationships. Peter's confirmed late autistic diagnosis has changed his life. While he still focuses on developing his business, he has pivoted his time to find new ways to support others who are autistic and may not know how to tap into their abilities to succeed at work. His new mission is to advocate for autism awareness in the workplace and help others who are autistic overcome obstacles to create cool new companies, products, and more saying all of that, Peter Mann, thank you so much for joining me today on the podcast.
1: Yeah, thank you so much, Michelle. Excited to be here.
0: I, I Peter and I got to meet um, a week ago, and I got, kind of got to get to know him a little bit better. And I have been very excited to record together because I just feel like he has... A lot of personal experience and I love where his passion is now. And so Peter, I just want to start by asking you. Well, I want to start by saying you're a CEO and founder of Aronzi. And tell us about this company and how you got to this place.
1: Wow, that's
0: <laughs> that's a
1: big question. Yeah, it's it's kind of funny because I I kind of laugh because you know, as growing up, I, I always had really low expectations placed on me by others and uh, um but you know internally i always had this air of confidence and I, I don't know if it's like being naive or if it's you know exactly you know what where the where the difference was but i always had a fair amount of like self-esteem or, or confidence if i you know if i if it was something i was interested in that i i could do it well but that wasn't necessarily held by by uh, my mom and, you know, some others, others around. And so <clears throat> I guess, you know, kind of where I am now, I never would have, you know, predicted, you know, 20, 30 years ago. Um, mm-hmm. It's, it's a little bit, you know, shy. I mean, you, you know, looking back, it, it makes sense. But going forward, <laughs> from that yeah. point, it it never, I, I never would have would have thought that, you know, I'd be running a company and but I just, you know, kind of just slowly built it brick by brick. And, you know, you put enough enough time in, um, in focus and energy. I think, you know, I think you can do some pretty amazing things. I but, agree.
0: I wanted to ask you, Peter, you had kind of talked a little bit with me about what led you to becoming interested in air purification and I wondered if you'd share a little bit of that with our listeners
1: sure yeah this was probably in the late 90s um I had a son and he was asthmatic and really um suffered to breathe you know there'd be times when he would just be changing color and struggling to breathe and it really left a impression on me and I wanted to see if there was something I could do for him naturally because the you know, the medicines, um, the steroids that he was given really were a bit rough on, you know, him as, as well as everyone else. And so, you know, I started looking into, you know, what's the air quality and what's triggering some of these, you know, asthma attacks. And that's, that really started my journey into, you know, air quality and air purification, probably 25 years ago.
0: I do think that it is not... Too uncommon for people to become passionate about something that is personal, it starts personal, and you begin to learn and then it kind of turns into something more. But I do think it's pretty remarkable where you've taken this. So I also wonder, (laughs) do you ever wanna did you ever want to like strap an air purification system to him so he could just walk around freely (laughs) with his
1: air being purified? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, just just wanted him to, you know, kind of have a normal childhood and not be, you know, handicapped with, you know, with asthma or asthma attacks. It's just it's 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 pretty rough. Yeah. It's and you know, and, and at the time they're really wasn't a lot about it. And you know, I don't know if you remember in the late 90s, Sharper Image was the big yes. product on the market marketplace. <laughs> and it kind of, you know, kind of went away after Consumer Reports started evaluating air purifiers. But um, for me, it's, you know, I, I went to, to college and I got a, you know, math statistics degree. And then I went into the military. And my mom didn't want me to get out because she was afraid I wouldn't be able to find an equivalent job. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, but, <laughs> but I knew I couldn't stay in just because the sleep patterns were were so rough that I just wasn't functioning well. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I, I spent probably 10 years working for other companies, uh, to, especially to Fortune 100 tech companies. Mm-hmm. And that's really where I got my, I guess, uh, on the job MBA. (laughs) And, and, you know, and they have a confidence to be able to step out and and do something on my own, which is really what I always wanted to do. I always had this um, desire for autonomy, and not have to do what other people kind of say you have to do. Mm -hmm.
0: I actually get that. I connect with that. And I, I am wondering, as you're talking a little bit about yourself, what What eventually led you towards seeking a diagnosis? Because I read in your bio that you received a late diagnosis. So what led you to seek that diagnosis at a later time in your life?
1: Yeah, so I, I went to school in the 70s and 80s, and I can say in the 70s, I, I think the statistic is one in 2,500 were <laughs> diagnosed with uh, as being autistic. Mm-hmm. So unless you're very high support needs, n- none of us were diagnosed. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I think if you grew up before the 2000s, m- most people are late diagnosed just because, <laughs> you know, they just the diagnostics weren't in place. Um to catch any of us or to. uh, um, And so what happened uh, with me was uh, my wife was watching the CBS Morning Show and they did a profile on a woman who was describing her autistic traits and it was like me to a T. And she said, you need to come watch this. <laughs> and, and so I watched it and I was like, oh, my gosh, I, I had no idea, I guess, you know, really what autism even was. And when she described her traits and ability to hyperfocus and see patterns and details that other people miss and some other things, I was like, oh, that explains a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's really what kind of started me on the journey Um, and then I took I think I took 10 online assessments and they're all like oh yeah you're autistic (laughs) that's you (laughs) yeah and then I started well I'm like well I don't really want to be a poser I want to make sure that you know someone that's you know an authority person that could do these assessments you know um, or the diagnoses can can state that. And that was really a challenge because, you know, I found out it's, it's really all set up for kids. (laughs) You know, it's not set up for the lost generations of folks that were just never diagnosed. And so I ended up, took me some months, but I found someone um, who did it over a period of months through telehealth. And Mm -hmm. she finally, you know, came through with the diagnosis. But um, it's, it's really, there's really nothing <laughs> set up for adults. um it's it's really just geared to children. and it's it's just kind of crazy to me to think that there's all these autistic people out there that don't know they're autistic.
0: Mm-hmm. And once you received that diagnosis, did you feel did you feel like you understood yourself a little bit better? how did that how did that feel to receive an official diagnosis? Yeah,
1: it was for me, it was a little bit overwhelming. And you go back and you relive your life's events mm-hmm. um, and you see things in a different, different way. And it's, you kind of, for me, it it kind of like highlights all my successes and failures. It's like, Oh, that's, that's why <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> this happened. And then I also started, you know, later started thinking about my dad and it's like, Oh, I now see that he was autistic as well, mm-hmm. you know, and he he lived his whole life with, you know, never being diagnosed, but, you know, really no one in his generation was either, obviously. (laughs) So, yeah, so it's, it's kind of a lot to process.
0: Mm -hmm. I can imagine, I, I just, you know, we had kind of talked about this and I received a ADHD diagnosis, not that long ago. And it has been interesting, although there's a little crossover with autism and ADHD, there's also differences. And we know this, but it's just been interesting for me to say, Oh, that's why my brain thinks about things in this particular way, or, you know, that's why I struggle with sleep, or there's just a variety of things that kind of make sense. Things that didn't make as much sense now make a little bit more sense for me anyway. Um, I want to ask you, Peter, this is a little bit more of a personal question, but you've had so much success in your business life. And a lot of business is centered around connections and people and communicating and A lot of times we hear within the autism community that, and with it, and the testing, the diagnostics is that there are social deficits. And sometimes I hate using that word deficit, but that is one of the words that they use. How has that worked out for you as far as connecting with people and the potential struggle that you may have experienced in connecting with people naturally?
1: Yeah, I think that that's definitely a challenge. I worked for, you know, Dell. And then before that, I worked for Tech Data, which is a large computer distributor. And
0: mm-hmm.
1: and at Tech Data, they, I can't remember, maybe this was 97, 98, something like that. They, they put all the managers through um, this day-long assessment with a team of psychologists. And it was really an eight to five kind of role playing and SAT type tests and you know number of different things. Mm-hmm. And when the results came in, I, I was uh, number two out of I don't know how many hundreds in terms of like analytical ability and wow. problem solving. And and I was at the bottom for like socialization, <laughs> and body language. Yeah. And I mean, I was at like the poles for for the two main areas and they just didn't know what to think of that it was like so weird and, you know, now it's like, well, of course. You know,
0: it's like, <laughs> we know what this might mean.
1: <laughs> yeah. And so they sent me off to a, a two or three day seminar uh, with this um, person. It's, I call it socializing for dummies. <laughs> it was, <laughs> but it was, you know, kind of like how to have a conversation with someone. These are questions to ask. And they gave me, you know, a little book. And so I, you know, still, it was almost like, tips and tricks for how to do social conversations, which Mm -hmm. for me is, is more of, uh, it can be more of a mechanical exercise, a thought experiment, as opposed to a natural flowing (laughs) thing that, that, that most people have. Mm -hmm. And so it, it kind of, you know, um, you know, so I, I, I guess it's something I've, it's, it's always, been there it's always been a, a challenge and I think as you work your way up an organization it becomes a it can become um, a liability and that if you know the socialization is is kind of what helps you to get ahead I that's just something I just never had really a lot of interest in I just wanted to get the work done and so that's kind of what got me to to where I was was just performing and you know getting stuff done and Um, the other thing I think that helped me was I always had an interest in human behavior. I've always thought like, uh, uh, you know, just growing up, knowing that you're different and just watching, observing other people. And it's like, wow, I never would have thought to say that, (laughs) or I never, (laughs) you know, or, Mm -hmm. and, and just understanding like different personality types and different traits and seeing, how different people really are. And so for me, I think that's been really helpful mm-hmm. um in in navigating this a little bit and really just trying to in a way serve other people and give them what they're looking for. But um the the social side has really been the the challenge. And I kinda saw my, you know, I moved up to mid level a little bit above, but I didn't see myself going any further just because of the, you know, socializing aspect that I just just didn't care about Mm -hmm. um and it's (laughs) not that I didn't see that it was important it's just I'm just not wired that way Mm -hmm. um in those situations and so
0: Yeah. yeah that makes sense to me I I think mostly because I have two autistic children and that social piece it just it just isn't it just isn't their main driving force. And I think, like you said, my oldest child, she's in college and she's autistic and she's very interested in behavior. And, and I think that's kind of helped her. And I'm listening to what you've said and just taking an interest in it and using your own observation skills and kind of being being an observer and being a listener has kind of helped you see how people interact. And so I think I think that that has helped my oldest as far as like navigating this world that we are, that we're in, because it's not, it's set up for the majority and autistic individuals are not the majority. And I'm not saying that that's right. It is just set up that way. And so sometimes People that are neurodiverse are expected to kind of jump in and join that. It's like a sink or swim. It can. I'm. I'm guessing it has maybe felt like that a little bit for you. I just think it's. Um, it's definitely trickier and definitely takes more work and focus and concentration. And like you said, it's just not something that you're necessarily interested in you want to do the work and get the work done and provide quality work and the people part important, but maybe not your main focus. (laughs) So uh, that makes sense to me.
1: Yeah. And I I think, Oh, I was just going to add, I think it's also, I I think for me, you know, what I've noticed it's like where people get their energy from and a lot of social extroverts, they get just, you know, energy from socializing and interacting and, you know, sometimes even small talk. And for me that that's the worst and Mm -hmm. I I get it from work. And so, you know, the like social interactions or the chit chat, um, you know, I, I just see, I recognize that it's important for other people, you know, and Mm -hmm. so it's just kind of the way it is being, (laughs) I guess, in a minority group, but Mm -hmm. it's not something I enjoy at all. Um, but it's kind of, um, something I've, I've, I don't know if um, I would say I've figured out how to do to, I can fake a neurotypical for a short period of time, but then I just get exhausted.
0: Yeah. That sounds exhausting to show up in a way that isn't naturally where you're at and because it requires a lot more focus and effort. So that sounds exhausting.
1: Yeah, you have to think through everything like what comes naturally to most people like mm-hmm. communications really complex, like, and there's so much that gets done non verbally, which I, since I, I, I'm not great at looking people in the eye or reading facial expressions, because mm-hmm. um, I'm kind of in my head mm-hmm. that I miss half of, half of what's being communicated. Yeah. And 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 for most people like it just happens naturally for them whereas for me i'm just having to think through it's like okay this is what their face is doing and this is what their words are and then this is what an appropriate response is. it's just it's it, it's a lot of work and it's mm-hmm. not effortless at all it's um and that's kind of where it becomes exhausting and draining and it's not it's it's clearly not a dopamine <laughs> driven yeah. thing. It's, it's, it's a draining kind of a, a a thing. And, but I've always been aware of that just, just in watching other people. My mom's a social extrovert um, mm-hmm. and my dad's just like me. And so I've kind of have seen both extremes. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I've, see, I, I, I have two over here, you know, like I was saying, I have two children who are autistic and, I I am I would say I identify more with your mom as far as being a social extrovert but sometimes I see my 15-year-old son looking at me with just confusion <laughs> <laughs> and I and I think it's okay that's all right like we do it differently and I I'm okay with how you do it. And he seems to be okay with how I do it. He just seems to maybe not get me all the time. And and that could be that he's also a teenager. (laughs) So
1: yeah.
0: (laughs) I, I don't know. But either way, I actually appreciate all of it. And my husband is naturally an introvert. And I just understand. He he'll call me his wingman at business events. He'll say, I just, I need you. You're my wingman (laughs) (laughs) and say, and, and I'm happy being that. And, and we kind of fit in our relationship like that together. We kind of, and he helps me with some of the details of things that I missed because quite honestly, the things he catches, I, I maybe just, I don't get into the details unless I'm extremely interested. That's part of me who I am. And I work on it, but it is a lot of effort for me. So when you talk about having to use a lot of energy to socialize, I have to use a lot of energy to focus on things that I'm not really interested in. It takes a lot of effort on my part. And maybe that's normal for people, but I don't know what normal is anymore. Help me figure that
1: out, Peter. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, what you described as what's exhausting is, is, you know, that's the problem for, I think, a lot of autistic folks is it's, you know, it's accepted or expected that the social interaction, since we're social beings, is is really what you're supposed to do. And that's the very thing that's just such a struggle. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's not that we can't do it well because autistic people really communicate well with other autistic people. It's when you have the neurotypicals with their expectations that come in. And it's like, we just we're just not wired that way. Mm -hmm. (laughs) To do it your way. And it's, you know, it's always been well, this is the the proper way to, (laughs) to do a social conversation.
0: Mm -hmm. And so I know, and I that has to be somewhat frustrating for you, I would imagine. I was reading about how your diagnosis has helped you to become more of an autism advocate, especially in the workforce what what does being an autism advocate look like for you
1: yeah so when I uh I guess this is about a year ago i I did a LinkedIn post and I just kind of you know offered up some help to other autistic folks that were um, going through the interview process or trying to get an interview or working at a company and you're kind of stuck and you can't move up because mm-hmm. of you know the way you're wired. And I, I talked with, I think I had video meetings with dozens of folks and just heard all of the challenges and struggles and it just really kind of hit me. Um, and after some time, I kind of came to realize that um autistic people are really trying hard it's Mm -hmm. it's it's largely an awareness issue among the neurotypicals Mm -hmm. of what autistic people are going through and it's like meet us halfway (laughs) kind of a thing and so you know I started off really just trying to engage with our other autistic people and you just hear the same things over and over again with the struggles and and it's it's just the way it's set up is it's not set up for success Mm-hmm. And, um, the only people that can influence that are not the autistic people, but everyone else. And so that's kind of where my attention is now is really just trying to um, advocate for autistic people, but but do it in a way that's not,, um, you know, you can't tell people they're bad or mm-hmm. <laughs> paint them in a corner. and um it, it, and I think most people want to do the right thing. They just they just have no idea. You know it's like look me in the eye it's you're being rude and mm-hmm. it's like right. you have no idea
0: yeah what,
1: what you're asking mm-hmm. and so yeah so that's kind of what i've been doing in terms of writing and and you know kind of communicating through my network and you know hopefully with what we're doing with our business we can kind of you know build a bigger business and i can use that as a platform to have a stronger voice
0: i love that and i hope that's exactly how it goes for you and for the business that you're building. And I do wonder because of this passion that you have to advocate for those, for autistic individuals that are in the workforce currently, I'm wondering within your job and your position, do you look for autistic individuals to hire, to bring in? And if so, what does that look like?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, you know, we look at like what someone's strengths are and, mm-hmm. and how does that align with what the position is. And mm-hmm. um, we use a, a a tool that kind of identifies traits. It's not a personality test, but it, it really um, what we do is if we have a position, we identify this is the these are the traits that this person needs to would align with. Um, success in the job, and then Mm -hmm. we just set out to find a person that has those traits that can naturally play to their strengths Mm -hmm. and, you know, and not get beat up over their weaknesses. And so I think inherently in that, it removes a lot of bias and it removes a a lot of issues that autistic folks have, because you may on paper, be the perfect person. But if you come in and your body language isn't what someone expects, you've,
0: Mm -hmm. you've,
1: in many cases are already, you know, done. And it's, um, and so we obviously don't have that here. (laughs) Because, as I've kind of, you know, been talking about a lot. (laughs) Um, And so there's, there's just an awareness, you know, to accept people for their differences and really value differences, because that's, where innovation, I think, comes from, you can't just be all the same and expect to compete in a you know competitive marketplace mm-hmm. um, without you know difference of difference of thought.
0: That's something that I hope we get better at. Overall, and in general, is that we can be more strength based and understand that the strengths that people naturally have, there's a place for that and it's needed. And that doesn't necessarily mean that their strengths are going to look just like your somebody else's strengths or, you know, what you bring to the table is something only you can bring to the table. And we need all of the differences and all of the unique ways of thinking about like problem solving and the way that our brains work. And I, I look and I see there, that there is change happening and I'm just happy to see it continue to expand and for people to continue to be educated. And so I just, I really connect with your mission here. And I really love like what you're sharing and the passion behind it and I just appreciate you coming on the podcast today and sharing your own experiences and the why behind it and the value of each of us as unique individuals, whether we're neurotypical or neurodivergent, there's value in each of us. And I think it's just a matter of people recognizing other people's value through their strengths and just as human beings in general. Is there anything that you would like to add, Peter, um, before before we finish this recording together?
1: Yeah, I, I agree. And I, I would just add, I think self-awareness is really important. Mm-hmm. Um, I think everyone has, we say like an all-star profile, like we all have strengths and weaknesses. Mm-hmm. and And for me, it's I don't know. This what's kind of interesting is that like for every strength there's an alternate weakness. Sure. Like I'm um, I'm top 1% for focusing. <laughs> but that means I'm not a good multitasker, right? It's this it's a it's like a spectrum yes. and that's one of the axes. And I know that, and so I don't need I don't need to beat myself up over not being a good multitasker because I just go all in on being able to focus, and that's my mm-hmm. strength. And I don't mm-hmm. beat myself up over not being a good multitasker because that's not who I am. Mm-hmm. And and its certain jobs or certain you know things that you're looking to do require certain strengths, and it's just a matter of aligning. Do you have do your strengths align with what the job is to be done? Mm-hmm. Um, and so everyone you know, has, you know, is is perfect the way they are, it's just understanding like what are my strengths and what are my weaknesses and how do I just play to my strengths mm-hmm. and not be in positions where it's, you know, if a job requires a certain thing and that's a big weakness for you, it's like, that's not a good fit. It's mm-hmm. just gonna be really stressful yes. and require a lot of energy, but there's other other jobs that align really well with what you're naturally gifted at and just do that. Um, And that's really been in the last 10 years or so that I've seen somewhat of a shift. I remember, you know, back in the 90s, it was all about focusing on your weaknesses and getting better. I'm like, you know, you could you could train me all you want. I'm multitasking. I'm Still going to be below average, no matter how <laughs> yes. much effort you put into it. Yes, and so yes. it's it's re- kind of refreshing that people are coming around to. It's like no, you don't have to be good at everything. Just figure out what you're good at and just go all in on that would be, you know, would be my suggestion.
0: I love that. That aligns with how I work with parents. We talk a lot about strengths based parenting and leaning into those strengths and The things that our children hyper focus on, lean into it and expand on it. And so that really connects with me. Peter Mann, thank you so much for your time and for your wisdom and just for who you are and for being willing to talk about who you are and why this is so important. Thank you so much.
1: All right. Thanks, Michelle. Enjoyed it.
0: For those of you that are listening, I will share Peter Mann's contact information on my Instagram, which is at navigating.the.spectrum. Thanks for joining today.